Welcome to the Littler Workplace Policy Institute podcast. Insider briefings on the latest legislative and regulatory developments affecting employers. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Littler's Workplace Policy Institute's Insider Briefing Call for June. I'm Eileen Schumann, co-chair of the Workplace Policy Institute. Like many other multi-employer pension plans, the Central State, Southeast, and Southwest Area Pension Fund was hit very hard by the financial crisis in 2008. In response, the Employment Retirement Income Security Act, or ERISA, was amended by Congress to allow Central States and other critically underfunded plans to remain solvent through the approval of a so-called rescue plan. On May 6, Central States' proposed rescue plan was rejected by the IRS. This would have huge amplifications, not just for the employers who contribute to the plan, but also for the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, or PBGC, and for participants and retirees, and potentially taxpayers as well. Here today to examine the implications of the rejection of the central state's plan is Littler shareholder Mike Kanju. Mike, thank you for joining us today. My, My first pleasure. question, Mike, for you is if you could explain to all of us what the rescue plan is and why a plan would submit a rescue plan in the first place. Uh, right. Thank you, Elise, and thank you to everybody for, for joining us on today's call. Important to set, I think, some some foundational context here as to uh, what a rescue plan is before delving into uh, what central states did in this instance and, and why its rescue plan was rejected. Uh, the rescue plan uh, is a creature of, of MEPRA, as it's known, and at the end of 2014, ERISA was amended by MEPRA to allow central states and smaller critically underfunded plans to, to basically have some method of survival without uh, bankrupting the, the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. In order to, to complete or have the ability to complete a rescue plan, you've got to be in what's called critical and declining status, which is a new status that was developed under MEPRA as well. A um, number of different moving parts to that, but, but, but one of the keys is that um, you've got to, as a fund, be projected to become insolvent during the current plan year or any of the 14 succeeding plan years or 19 succeeding plan years if the plan is a ratio of inactive to active participants that exceeds 2 to 1, or if the funded percentage of the plan is less than 80%. That that it, it, that 19-year window is the one that's likely to apply to the vast majority of funds that are now in critical and declining status. Central states being um, one of those plans. So, if you're a critical and declining fund under under MEPRA, you can file an application for what's now been called a euphemistically called I'd, I'd say a rescue plan to reduce benefits, uh, basically cut benefits, to as low as 110% of the PVGC guaranteed levels. There's certain uh, uh, groups, uh, the, the elderly um, and, and disabled pensioners who are, who are exempted um, from those benefit cuts, um, but that's, that's one particular aspect of the rescue plan. And the other very basic aspect of the rescue plan is, is some mechanism for transferring liabilities 
uh, associated with orphan retirees. For those that have followed this particular dialogue in the news, the word orphan has become, I'd say, a politically charged term. It basically refers um, uh, to someone who worked for an employer who uh, withdrew from central states without paying its full share of withdrawal liability upon exit. In order for the rescue plan to be successful, it's basically got to prove that it would, uh, if, if it works, uh, avoid, avoid insolvency for the fund um, or would cost the PBGC less than simply allowing the plan to become insolvent in the future uh, in the ordinary course. Um, very key terminology that, uh, and I'll get into once we discuss uh, Ken Feinberg's rejection, is that the, the, the plan determinations, at least under MEPRA, uh, were supposed to be or are supposed to be approved unless they're determined to be, quote unquote, clearly erroneous. Um, Mr. Feinberg, in contrast, uh, never discussed the terms clearly erroneous when he was uh, assessing the fund's projections, assumptions, et cetera, in its rescue plan. Uh, he talked about them being reasonable. And if uh, the IRS in the first instance approves the rescue plan, something that did not happen with central states. Uh, plan participants have the right to then vote to approve or reject the proposal. Even if participants reject the proposal with uh, a significantly critical plan uh, to the whole multi-employer program like central states, uh, IRS can, o can override a negative vote. We obviously never got that far with central states plan because Treasury uh, shot it down out of the gate. Um, so, so, Mike, what did the central states rescue plan look like, and why do you think it was rejected by the IRS special master, Kenneth Feinberg? Yeah, so the, 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 the most significant features of the rescue plan uh, for central states uh, was benefit cuts that were uh, discussed at great length in the media and I think to a large degree politicized as well. Um, for those that have been following the dialogue in the news and otherwise, that's a reality that you're all very familiar with. Um, to paint this with a broad brush, the rescue plan basically provided for benefit cuts to be cut depending on the, the type of, of participant or pensioner substantially, um, unless of course you're elderly or, or disabled. Um, and the the net effect, at least according to Central States uh, Rescue Plan, was that the, the impact of those benefit cuts uh, over the years were supposed to be sufficient to allow the fund to avoid insolvency. Um, there's a number of different benefit classes and tiers of benefits that were discussed as part of the pension plan that are really um, uh, complicated enough and there's enough moving parts that it doesn't make a ton of sense to go into each of those uh, at, at, at this point. Um, but in essence, um, the, the IRS retained Kenneth Feinberg to assess the rescue plan in the first instance. Um, many, I suspect, on the call uh, recognize his name from the 9-11 fund and the BP fund. I've had at least one colleague uh, tell me that Mr. Feinberg's uh, uh, experience is much more akin to giving people money as opposed to taking it away. So, and I agree with that, and despite his considerable skill and experience in um, high-stakes uh, issues of this ilk, uh, I think there's at least some question as to whether he was ill-suited for this sort of endeavor. Regardless, uh, Mr. Feinberg and, and, and Treasury, in essence, determined that 
the rescue plan that central states proposed really wasn't sufficient to avoid insolvency such that cutting benefits in the manner that central states had proposed simply wasn't worth it. And there, there's a couple of different reasons for that that I'll go into now um, in some detail. The, the first is that the projected rate of return on the assets in the plan was in essence determined to be too optimistic, particularly in the near term. Um, there's a lot of assumptions that were built into the rescue plan. One big one was the estimated rate of return on the assets uh, of the fund. Uh, the estimated rate of return that the fund was using was 7.5%, and in essence, Mr. Feinberg, among other um, items, de determined that th that really was too optimistic of an assumption about how those assets would actually uh, return in the market. Um, most fundamentally, I think there was a, 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 an understanding uh, or presumption from Mr. Feinberg and, and Treasury that the fund had a very, uh, I'd say, small window of time to, to basically turn it around, such that the, 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 the fund's ability to, to, to have a, a significant return on its assets in the earlier term, so the first 10 years after the rescue plan uh, would have been implemented, uh, was more critical than in the, the, the years after 10 years out, uh, because in those first 10 years, there were going to be more assets uh, to invest uh, and ultimately continue to make the fund, um, um, at least theoretically, more funded. Um, and Mr. Feinberg determined that there really wasn't a sufficient uh, weighting of uh, the, the timing in which those assets needed to be returned on. There was not enough of, of, of an emphasis or focus on the first 10 years. And also determined that the, the rate of 7.5%, if you look at you know, uh, typical uh, market data out there was also just significantly optimistic. Uh, the other rate that was quoted was 6.43% um, from another actuarial survey as to what the appropriate rate of return would be for similar asset classes over that 10-year period. It just simply was too optimistic. Uh, one other assumption that uh, Mr. Feinberg took issue with was the new hire age. Um, there was this assumption in the rescue plan that all new hires or new participants that were entering the fund um, as new hires were, were going to be a particular age, and the particular age that they used was 32. Uh, now, someone that's 32 is, is much more actuarially attractive uh, to a fund than somebody who is, uh, you know, 45, 50, 55. Someone who is going to be 32 in, in entering a fund for the first time is someone who is not going to be uh, uh, receiving benefits for, you know, 20, 25, 30 years. Uh, and presumably being someone who an employer is going to contribute on their behalf and pumping more money into the fund throughout that time. Uh, someone who is older is going to be less actuarially attractive to a fund. And from looking at the application that central states uh, put in, in particular, the demographic data of its new entrance into the fund, Mr. Feinberg determined that 32 was, uh, in essence, a too optimistic assumption about the age of a new hire uh, into the fund. Um, and if you look at the application uh, exhibit that is cited in Mr. Feinberg's 10-page rejection, you can see that the, the population of, your, of the new entrants into um, central states is, is somewhere is much more focused in the demographic range of 45 to 59 as opposed to 32. Um, so Mr. Feinberg took an issue with, with that particular assumption as well. Uh, what I will say editorially is that, that I think that the 
the older age of new entrants into central states, I think, is a reflection of uh, generationally how uh, a, 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 the younger workforce uh, views pension benefits, um, in particular benefits that are associated with a fund like central states that has been in the news for being terribly underfunded and the like. There is much more suspicion, much more cynicism, uh, much less attraction of a younger employee of participating in a pension fund uh, as opposed to a 401k or some other retirement vehicle because there is an understandable concern that that money won't be around uh, when that worker uh, nears retirement. The, there was also uh, uh, an issue that Mr. Feinberg took with the manner in which, the, as he put it, benefit cuts were not equitably distributed across particular participant or retiree classes. And this was an issue specific to uh, a rather broad and large group of retirees and participants who uh, uh, work for UPS. And in essence, the, the issue there was that, uh, the, that the application provided that the benefits of some UPS participants would, redu would be reduced more than the benefits of other UPS participants. Um, and most fundamentally, the application provided that the UPS-related benefits with the least protection, uh, those that were not uh, subject to a make-whole agreement with UPS such that if benefits were cut with central states, there would be a make-whole uh, agreement such that those benefits would be made up by UPS, that those particular individuals with the least protection were going to be subject to the greatest reduction. Um, the, the final, I think probably the, 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 uh, the simplest of the reasons that Mr. Feinberg decided to reject Central State's rescue plan is that he determined that the communications were too complex to be understood by the average plan participant. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a very complicated subject. It's, it's one that, that, that cannot be discussed um, really in any meaningful way. Um, without digging into the various moving parts so that the individuals who are affected uh, by this, in particular here, uh, participants, uh, understand them and understand what the ramifications are and, and the like. Um, there was some sharply worded criticism of the manner in which the, um, the, uh, the application uh, and the notices uh, were, were uh, characterized by Mr. Feinberg. One in particular, he referenced a uh, a 98-word sentence that included four critical terms, the definitions of which are not contained in the notices. Um, so uh, the, the fact that you've got a very complex issue, at least according to Mr. Feinberg, not being discussed in a very easily understandable way or an easily understandable enough kind of way for participants uh, was uh, one of the uh, additional reasons that uh, Mr. Feinberg determined that the uh, Central States Rescue Plan should be rejected. The, the first uh, several reasons uh, relating to actuarial assumptions, um, it, 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 those basically resulted in what Mr. Feinberg viewed as, as an overly optimistic expectation that the Rescue Plan would allow Central States to avoid insolvency. He believed that um, Central States' numbers were, in essence, wrong or too optimistic. Um, such that the, the benefit cuts that were being proposed just simply weren't going to be sufficient to avoid the fund's insolvency. And, you know, what that basically sets up is, uh, in essence, um, a situation where if uh, realistic, to use the, the opposite of Mr. Feinberg's opinion of central states' assumptions, if realistic assumptions were used, 
what that would have to mean is that benefit cuts would have to be even more draconian than the ones that were put forth in the rescue plan in order for the rescue plan to meet um, the, the standards that were outlined by Mr. Feinberg in his rejection of Central State's rescue plan. Um, the benefit cuts, as anyone um, who follows this knows, uh, were um, uh, a very much discussed, very much uh, politicized piece of this, such that um, if you were to propose having more benefit cuts um, or more stark benefit cuts as a result of uh, some sort of a revamp rescue plan that we now know is not going to happen, it would have been that much more difficult, I think, and this is just my opinion, for uh, a rescue plan to proceed uh, under those circumstances. So I'll end by, by just saying, you know, the, 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 the undercurrent to all of this is, from my perspective, uh, um, and this is a purely legal uh, uh, issue, is it, it was surprising to me to not see the words clearly erroneous uh, arise in, in any of Mr. Feinberg's assessment of central states' assumptions. Um, the, the assumptions were assessed really only in the concept of reasonableness, which is the, you know, one of the ways that actuarial assumptions uh, get tested uh, in front of arbitrators in the courts. Uh, but the standard is a much uh, uh, different standard uh, under MEPRA, and it's a clearly erroneous standard. And the, the fact that Mr. Feinberg did not uh, use that standard um, when assessing central state assumptions, I think, is, uh, is surprising. It may ultimately be irrelevant because central states has now told us that they're not going to go back to the drawing board or challenge Mr. Feinberg's rejection. Um, but it, it's one piece that I can say, among other things that were surprising about this, that, were very, that was very surprising to me. Um, so, Mike, if central states fails, what does it mean for employers? And do you think we're looking at a government bailout? It's an excellent question. Um, when the rescue plan was rejected, I, I will say me and others that live in this space and, and have followed this closely um, had a number of different theories on what would happen next. Um, one theory was that central states may go back to the drawing board and complete a different rescue plan. Uh, time, uh, among many other things, is not on the fun side if they were to choose to do that. Uh, also, as I noted earlier, if um, if they were to go back to the drawing board, there would really be no way for them to go back to the drawing board without having the benefit cuts be more stark, more draconian, and thus make their rescue plan, I think, a lot less politically palatable. Um, but that was one option that, that I can tell you I had thought about. Um, there was some question as to whether the, the fund would seek to challenge Mr. Feinberg's rejection in some manner in the courts. Um, one theory that jumped out at me was the, 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 the fact that Mr. Feinberg, in essence, applied the wrong standard to assessing central states' assumptions is just one example. Uh, and the third is, um, you know, do nothing <laughs> and, and, and try to urge Congress to, uh, to take some sort of action. Um, it, since the, the central states' rescue plan was rejected, the, the fund has made it, um, I think, very clear at this point that they are not going to issue a new rescue plan and uh, they are not going to challenge Mr. Feinberg's rejection. So what that leaves us with is some measure of congressional action. Um, and whether it's a government bailout or the like, uh, time will tell. Um, it's, it's an interesting question as to, as to when, if ever, a government bailout will be coming. But the fund has been clear, and, and I think this is right, 
that absent some sort of congressional action, the fund will absolutely go insolvent at some point within the next 10 years. And that, that timeline may be accelerated considerably if employers who have some ability to withdraw from the fund between now and 10 years from now withdraw from the fund in an accelerated fashion. That may also accelerate the insolvency of the fund. It may um, lead to a mass withdrawal um, of the fund in, in some form or fashion, uh, which will have significant ramifications, not just on contributing employers, um, but you know, recently withdrawn employers as well, not to mention the, the broader economy in those industries that has central states participants, trucking, um, grocery stores, and the like is just two examples. Um, it, it's very difficult um, to, to forecast exactly uh, what, what's going to happen at, at this point. Uh, but there's certainly not a lot of great options at this point. And the only one that appears to be uh, a potential is, the, is some sort of a congressional bailout. Um, but if, exactly if, that, if and when that will happen uh, is very much an unknown. Um, well, Mike, thank you so much for trying to help us make sense of what is indeed a very complicated um, and complex problem. So I really appreciate you taking part in, in today's call. Um, if you have any you know, um, other thoughts, ending thoughts, um, please feel free to chime in. But for those of you um, that are on the phone and that called in today, and if you have any questions and would like to, um, to talk more with, um, with Mike about this, please feel free to, to reach out to him or, or to me if you have any questions. Thanks very much. Okay, thank you, Mike, and that concludes our call for today. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.